Oh, hey, Veronica. Um, after we record today, uh, uh, I was going to hang out with my friend Gary. You want to come? Oh, God, Gary, really? He's like, he's the worst. He's like such a dick. Every time we hang out, I have the worst experience. I never want to hang out with that dude. Why would you even fucking ask me that? Okay, okay. So you had a bad time with Gary. But what if now I call him the Gary? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's fine. That's a totally different thing. He's a totally different person. Okay, good. Unrelated, let's talk about the Suicide Squad. <laughs> toot toot. <laughs> <laughs> Great opening. Another one. Another (laughs) one. I can't help but notice, John, that you're wearing a shirt that is also worn by every other man in Williamsburg. I am. Thank you for calling out my my visual inside joke to you. (laughs) A joke that won't make sense to the listeners on two different levels. (laughs) What? They don't have the proper information Either visually or backstory wise, but guys, guess guess what? Me wearing this shirt, very funny. Yes, imagine a shirt you would buy off of Instagram that looks hip, and <laughs> I mean you're probably not far off. And then imagine John basically running into someone also wearing that shirt every time he leaves the house. <laughs> uh, only it's only happened about four times, <laughs> but I'm wearing it now. Know. I'm wearing it now. I'm the only person in my uh, bedroom wearing it. So it, it's it's Good. unique to me now. Which is impressive because there are like 12 other dudes in your room. <laughs> yep. There are constantly 12 different dudes in my bedroom. Whatever you think you thought you knew about my personal life, clearly it's different, listener. Oh, uh, yeah. Speak, but who am I? <laughs> Who I'm are John Rashad. <laughs> I'm Veronica Yarovsky. And welcome to Box Office Time Machine, the show where we talk about the number one movie at the box office from either this weekend or a weekend in the past. Ooh. This week, we're going current with the current number one movie at the box office, although a slightly disappointing haul, pandemic uh, to blame, who knows. Uh, but the movie is... James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Pew, pew, pew. That's them committing suicide. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Spoilers. (laughs) Veronica, let's start. Have either of us seen, I'll call it A Suicide Squad? The 2016 2016 David Ayer movie? Uh, I have not. I think my only experience with it is you... Making us sit through a YouTube video analyzing why it sucks at like 1 a.m. and me being very sleepy. 
making you, uh, giving you the <laughs> gift of getting to enjoy uh, Dan Olson, um, uh, Folding Ideas, the YouTube channel, analysis of the editing of Suicide Squad. And that's a great video. Oh, it's and a lovely you video. Be <laughs> Not at 1 a.m. when I'm very sleepy. <laughs> well, look, all the 12 men in my bedroom loved it. So you're crazy. Oh, I, I mean, to be honest, I remember very little of it because as I recall, I was falling asleep during it. But I guess it brought on some salient points, I'm sure. That is actually, I agreed, my only uh, real experience with that movie, uh, the original Suicide Squad. Although I've, you know, read a lot about the disastrous production of it, yada, yada, yada. So I feel like I know it. I feel like I know it deep down. <laughs> but I I think it's pretty clear this movie uh, is pretty much trying to act like that movie never happened, mostly for the simple fact that most people hated that movie. Yeah, it, it sure seems like it. it. There were definitely points as I was watching the movie when I was thinking, what was the first movie? Is the first movie exactly like this movie, just but like worse? Because it definitely feels like the beats would be the beats you would have in a movie like this. And I was wondering... How could the previous movie either mess it up or, you know, do it differently, I guess? I would say in broad strokes, and this is coming from someone who uh, has not seen the original, but watched the new one twice. So I guess they cancel each other out. Of course. Um, and you that watched means that I know video. both of them. And I watched that video. I think the broad strokes of Amanda Waller puts together a team. The team gets into hijinks. The team eventually goes against her wishes to save the day. Uh, would probably be equals on both of both movies. I don't know if they go against her wishes in the first one. I have to assume they do. They would have to. That was um, that main plot point where I was like, they have to do this in the previous one, which raises the question of why would you try this again, woman? <laughs> woman, why would you try this again, Amanda Waller? Why would you try this again, Warner Brothers? Who knows? I honestly, I was trying to think of this. Can you think of a more almost universally disliked movie that has gotten a direct sequel? Hmm, that's a great question. I haven't thought of it, but... I mean, even something like, you know, a Paul Blart mall cop, like, while that was, like, critically reviled, like, that was a huge success. There are tons of movies that were, like, critically disliked, but I feel like only the most diehard of DCEU whatever that still means, <laughs> DCEU fans enjoyed, like David Ayer doesn't even enjoy David Ayer's Suicide Squad. Yeah, it is very interesting. I guess the studio did know that they have something that under the right circumstances could be fun. And so maybe they pushed it through. I truly don't know what sort of business logic they presented to whoever were the money people to get them to you know green light this and give them the money for the production i assume it i assume the pitch was hey guardians of the galaxy but with a ton of cursing by the guy who did guardians of the galaxy and then that probably sold them i don't know that someone who without James Gunn's experience gets this job and this movie gets made with someone who's not someone like James Gunn. I could see it being done by someone like Joss Whedon if they were not blacklisted, I guess. But, you know. 
<laughs> but there are very few people for whom you would be like, hey, this is a franchise that did not go anywhere. We still want to resurrect it. Give us a ton of money to do it. <laughs> From what I gather, it was, I mean, and this is the public version of, this, of the development story. I mean, uh, I would love to read the future book on the DCEU and the future <laughs> book about the, the Disney Star Wars movies and all the hijinks that happened in, in both mega franchises. But hijinks, um, discrimination, who's to say? <laughs> all the fun, <laughs> silly stuff. Um, but from what I gather is this is the backstory of the development of this movie mm-hmm. is a few years ago, James Gunn, the director, writer, director of the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, uh, tweeted some stuff about how he doesn't like Donald Trump. <laughs> Th- this will get us to this movie. This is what happened. He tweeted stuff about how he didn't like Donald Trump. Go figure. Universally like guy Donald Trump for whatever reason. Yes. James Gunn did he got not tired he- of winning. I'm sure I that must have been it. Whatever the reason, James Gunn. Did not think Donald uh, Donald Trump was doing an A plus number one job as Did president. Did you almost say and Donald he, Glover? I almost said Donald Glover. I've trained myself uh, now that he's out of office. I've trained <laughs> myself that anytime someone tries to force me to think about Donald Trump, I actually picture Donald Glover instead, and I have a much better time. Mm, that's solid, I guess. I I don't know why. Uh, apper, actor and rapper Donald Glover is uh, spreading vaccine misinformation, but that part becomes confusing, but whatever. <laughs> this uh, is America, man. <laughs> <laughs> so Donald Trump, not Glover, uh, James Gunn tweeted about him and that led a bunch of right-wing grifter hack uh, uh, douchebags to start a smear campaign uh, where they dug up old tweets that James Gunn had written um uh, 10 years earlier, mm-hmm. back when he was still just the the trauma guy. Um, and these were tweets were a bunch of like uh, child molestation jokes. Hilarious. Hilarious. They were all very funny. I don't remember them. I remember them being A, not that offensive, but B, not that funny. Uh, yeah. Tweets, you know, tweets. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my impression. I remember reading it and being like, OK, fine. Watch there be some <laughs> one that's like truly offensive that I'm not remembering. But I, I really don't remember what they were. But so they shared them and that and it was a huge, you know, astroturfed smear campaign. But the furrer led Disney to fire James Gunn off of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Right. So then Warner Brothers, who was having their disastrous DCEU nightmare, goes, hey, maybe we can get one of those uh, Marvel guys that make successful Marvel movies to come in and fix this. A plan that, as we all know, worked really well with Joss Whedon. Um, (laughs) So they called in James Gunn. And from what I gather, they offered him Superman. And oh. James, this is this is what James Gunn has said. They offered him Superman and he was like, I don't think I'd be good for that job. And they're like, well, what would you like to do? And he said, I would like to do Suicide Squad. <laughs> and that's why we have this movie. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, it seems like <laughs> so I, I did not know the last part of it about them offering him 
Superman. I did hear that he specifically wanted to do Suicide Squad, but it is kind of cool for him because he's like a very big comic book nerd, from my understanding. Mm -hmm. And my favorite movie of his is Super, which is not based on like a previous, I think, uh, uh, IP, but is very kind of derivative of superheroes. So to, you know, to get for him to get to a place where he just picks and chooses his favorite superheroes and gets to play around with them is probably very gratifying to him. Yeah. <laughs> Veronica and I aren't even a place where we get to choose what movies we're going to talk no. about for this podcast. America chooses that for us, but Mr. James Gunn could choose any DC property. Of the world. But um, I know it's, it's actually the funny thing is like, like you said earlier, the premise of the suicide squad, a bunch of B list supervillains go in and do work for the military to get time off their sentence. That's a great premise for a story. But unlike that first movie, I just don't see how that premise works not as a comedy. That's yeah. a great comedy premise. Yeah, I was really wondering about the tone because the tone of the previous one could be encapsulated by the band 21 pilots which is like very <laughs> dour and serious and like hot topicy, i guess and i wonder what that movie was i'm almost now more intrigued about it now that i've seen this one just to see what the misfire was because it seems like it was major and now i'm kind of curious well, they made, I mean, it's a bunch of stuff. And again, neither of us have seen that movie, no. so we probably shouldn't talk about that much. But um, from what I gather, Ayer had a very short period of time to write the script. He filmed uh, uh, an incredibly dark, edgy, serious movie about Killer Croc and Harley Quinn fighting crime. Um, <laughs> why you do that, I don't know. But that's what he did. Then Guardians of the Galaxy came out, was a huge hit. They had the trailer that tried to make the first Suicide Squad look like Guardians of the Galaxy. People loved that. So then they got the company that edited the trailer to try to re-edit Ayer's cut to be a comedy. And then they tried to put the two cuts together. Oh God. Shockingly, this did not lead to a good, <laughs> comprehensive movie. But no, th this new one is built... Uh, from the bottom as a comedy and I'll, I'll just uh, get out of the way we can save our grades till the end but i i really liked it yeah i was surprised by how much i like it uh, you were not it. excited to see it oh not at all even when the reviews were like this is pretty good i was like okay this is probably not gonna be enough for me to enjoy because <laughs> i i feel like as time goes on my tolerance for comic book movies has been really what is whatever it is that I don't tolerate them that much anymore. Well, Lowered, I'm, heightened, whatever. I'm done. Yeah, I, I don't want to watch yeah. them anymore. I, they're not fun. They're not surprising. Usually there's I mean, we've discussed this before. Every movie kind of has to save all the heroes, which is why the Suicide Squad kind of has addresses my major beef with these movies where you can't kill you four. just want them to die well i just want there to be stakes you know <laughs> I, I, when we know that no one can die because they have to be in the sequel then it's fucking boring uh and it doesn't really 
have any emotional impact when they survive because you assume that they would and you just feel emotionally manipulated if they are trying to make it feel like they wouldn't uh and this one i mean spoiler alert a bunch of characters died a bunch of characters <laughs> i really liked died and uh in very funny ways because the movie is funny uh but you know it felt like sort of hey this is a thing we're gonna have fun with this movie we're gonna play around with things and it felt like a unit i'm sure there are gonna be sequels now that this movie has been so well received but i feel like it also stands on its own as a standalone movie and i will probably not watch the next one unless i'm forced to again <laughs> Well, unless we change the format of the podcast, you won't be, because the sequel is a spin-off TV series starring John Cena's Peacemaker character, yes, which is coming to HBO Max next January. So it's like already in production. And I'm very curious because my understanding was that Doom Patrol is essentially the same thing, too, which is also on HBO. But what Doom Patrol was originally on the DC universe streaming platform uh, at this point well they're they're coming coming up uh uh, uh warner brothers is going to have like four different batman currently in existence they're the batman <laughs> there's going to be uh the robert pattinson one there's going to be the one that's in whichever the flashpoint movie that's still like with like uh uh the Zack Snyder universe, but it won't be Ben Affleck. So that universe will have two Batman. Um, oh, and wow. then there's also, there's a, a, a Batman on the Teen Titans TV show. So. Wow. So or, they're nearing like a boy band Batman thing. There's going to be the sensitive one, the sexy one, <laughs> the boyish one, the bad boy. <laughs> I guess they I mean, sort of are like that, you know, like the one for the kids is probably like the teen mutants or whatever. Or the Teen Justice, and then like oh, it's, a, it's the live action uh, Teen Titans show where they cuss. So it's oh. for children. It's for children. Sorry, sorry, fans of that show. Well, <laughs> I mean, it might be great, but all of this stuff is for children. Even this R rated movie is for children. I mean, the yeah, the Ben Affleck one is obviously like the guy in the boy band who's like too old to be in a boy band. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> Robert Pattinson would be like the, you know, the cute Justin Timberlake guy. Yeah. He's the one fits. that's already already going for a solo career. They're already building him up. He's got one foot out the door. Exactly. And there's going to be one with a weird bass voice. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really get to sing <laughs> unless they do like a harmony and he starts like really at the bottom. <laughs> I so want to join in this bit and I don't, I, I'm not, I don't know enough boy band types. Oh no. Oh boy. Well, we got to educate you, John. Let's. Uh... <laughs> I know there's the bad boy and that's about it. Oh man. I mean, there's so many boy bands. If do my, still... if my walls could talk as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Like modern boy bands or um, like, I guess we'd call like BTS, right? The K-pop. That's still a boy band, right? Do yeah. they still have the same, are the same archetypes still around? Or have we moved to a new, a uh, new archetype? It does seem like they're separate fandoms for different guys. So I am not a BTS. I'm not, not a fan in the sense of just, I don't follow them. The songs of theirs that I know, I do enjoy it, but um it seems like each boy or a man at this point has a following and presumably he is different in some way that 
attracts a certain uh, type. Okay, girl. well, let's take what was your favorite boy band in the 90s? Uh, the Backstreet Boys. Okay, who, uh, 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 who, which of the Suicide Squad members compares to which uh, Backstreet Boy? Member? Oh, Suicide Squad members? Okay. All right, so we have, uh, let's see. So there's Nick Carter. He was like the boyish guy who's like, uh, is very sexy and silly. So who would that compare to? King Shark. <laughs> I guess that would, he would probably be Pete Davidson before he dies. Uh, uh- yeah, I guess like they don't directly map. They do map more closely to the Batman, though. <laughs> I will tell you that. But this is not a Batman hypothetical. No, no. Backstreet, Batman Street Boys <laughs> podcast. We'll say if the listeners demand it when the Robert Pattinson Batman movie comes out, we will compare every Batman performance to a boy backstreet boy member i will do the research yes. on both batman and backstreet boys we will be prepared do I mean, not worry while confine ourselves to the current iterations of batman let's go all the way i mean there's so oh, many yeah. boy bands i mean one of them must be adam west one of well, them adam west is more of a justin timberlake from nsync because he can dance oh yeah that's he true. does the bat to see bat to Anyway, <laughs> I'm acting like Justin Timberlake's the only one who dances. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I it's so funny that we're. It feels like we're not talking about the movie because I actually, um, I so I really like this movie. This is not a perfect movie. Where, where did you Where did you see? What was your big flaw? Um. Okay. Uh. So I, I I actually I did watch this twice I know. because I watched it really late at night the first time, uh, not super sober. Mm. And as I was watching it the first time, I remember loving the beginning, loving the end and being a little bored during the middle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Was that just because I was watching it at 2 a.m.? And so I rewatched it this time. I caught a lot of stuff that I missed the first time. <laughs> uh, I appreciated um, a, the the macro movie wide themes that James Gunn uses and the ways he explores those ideas. Uh, I loved the beginning, I loved the end, and I was a little bored in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely agree. I feel like once they settle in on this island, and we have the exposition from then on until basically they invade the Nazi fortress uh it kind of it was i mean there were some fun parts in it but Mm. it wasn't as exciting i i personally didn't enjoy harley quinn like almost at all i would say i don't know why people really like that character i i didn't like her okay i want to so so there's the character and then there's the way she's used. I, I enjoyed her. So I didn't watch the original Suicide Squad because everyone says it's terrible. But I did, to prepare for this, last week watch Birds of Prey. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I worked really hard. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was fun. I, I liked this movie more. I thought it was fun. Both this movie and that movie have a bunch of weird chronology timeline stuff of having stuff not go in chronological order and in both movies 
I didn't think it improved the movie in any way and just like typically hurt it. Like I love mm-hmm. the flash forward at the beginning of this movie, but this movie keeps going for like a Quentin Tarantino inglorious bastards thing <laughs> with like, like a latter day Quentin Tarantino, or I guess actually every day Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> every day thing. Quentin lit- Tarantino. The chronology shit is literally from Reservoir Dogs. I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Um, but like with a bunch of like, it's we've got chapter titles, we're jumping forward, we're jumping backwards. But unlike, say, a movie like that, where we when we jump to uh, when we have all of Harley Quinn's subplot condensed into one chapter, as opposed to just intercutting it with the other action. I don't know that that added anything. No, I, that was the stuff that I found. I guess I found it kind of surprising that she marries that guy briefly. <laughs> that was kind of silly. But I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I, I was just gonna say I I almost feel like they were worried that they weren't going to get to the punchline of that story fast enough. That mm. people were going to really dislike the idea of her uh, like m- like running off to be with this guy. You know, that they were like, oh, birds of praise all about Harley Quinn being an independent, independent woman after leaving the Joker. And now the first time she's back with a male writer, she's fallen in love with a dude. I don't know if that's what it was Mm. or that they were worried there wasn't enough action. But like it felt like they're like, we have to get to the point where she shoots the guy as quickly as possible. So let's just put all the scenes together. That's just one guess. I just don't know why they made it its own separate movie. Yeah, it was very odd. It it felt, yeah, it just wasn't that exciting. I remember, so I watched it with Corey, my boyfriend, and Mm -hmm. I, I, I turned to him and I was like, this is kind of, it started off very strong and now it's very slow. I don't know. It, it did feel sort of, and I feel like it would have worked better probably as a plot point if it were allowed to breathe some more and we would cut back and forth between what was happening with the other characters. And the cuts are obvious, like when when she first gets arrested, which we do, we cut away. Then we cut back, and then the point where he she meets him, and uh, uh, and he's like, "I want to," or I they the first scene with him where he comes out of the bathtub, mm-hmm. and he's it's I literally just watched this for a second time, <laughs> and I'm forgetting some of the moments because this this part felt weird. Um, where he comes out, you end that scene. Then we we cut back to the action with the other cast at the during the like um, the stuff with the where they kill all the gorilla forces, which I want to come back to that scene. Um, then we cut back to the whole montage with she and she and him, her and him, her, her and him, uh, and we can go all the way to the point where he dies. There, it's just you split up that section once. Maybe you could do it twice, but I just don't know. Having it the way it had it, it made it. F- it's the kind of thing where, same way with Birds of Prey, even though it was done very differently, the the cross, the jumping back and forth in chronology doesn't ha- like doesn't help because it like breaks up the rising action. Mm, I so it see. makes the section of the at least that's what I felt. It makes the, those sections of the movies feel slower because we're constantly jumping back to the beginning of a story. I I have not seen that movie, so I don't know. But yeah, it truly felt, I mean, kind of weirdly rushed, but also in a way slowing down the action, which is quite the feat. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think I would enjoy everything in that moment, in that storyline, had it been broken up. 
Mm. Um, I love the action scene at the end. And I think the punchline itself where she shoots him, I thought that was a really fun reveal. Mm-hmm. But so I, I so I didn't like the way it was sectioned off. I didn't like a lot of the chronology stuff in this movie. I felt like the stuff at the end where they split off in the two teams and they go eight minutes later. I didn't think any of that was necessary other than the flash forward at the beginning. I don't mm-hmm. think we needed any of the chronology stuff. But overall, I liked the Harley Quinn scenes on their own because I do enjoy that performance and that character. It seems like maybe you don't. Uh, I think I like Margot Robbie. I I was confused about the accent. <laughs> I guess it felt like with her, I I felt I would say the joke hit ratio for me was probably over fifty percent, but with her it was way lower. Um, mm. It just I don't know for some reason I didn't really connect to her character, even though there, yeah I think. All the action stuff involving her was cool. And I guess the whole thing with the javelin was was nice. <laughs> and yeah, but yeah, the rest of it. Oh, and with Milton, like the whole like Milton thing was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, otherwise, I just I don't know. It just felt I don't know. It just didn't feel as funny or when they it felt like trying too hard a lot of the mm. time, I guess. That would be my I've heard other people who who feel that way about her. I mean, I it's funny how there's like people are like, is this in the same universe? Who knows? But I actually do feel like this is a a kind of direct next chapter from where her character was in the last Mm. movie that especially once we get that reveal of now she's looking for, quote, red flags in all the new men she meets, (laughs) which I find very funny. but yeah, no, I I liked I, I found most of the character her jokes. I found the jokes as a whole in the middle of the movie where she where a lot of her action is kind of uh, took a downturn. Mm-hmm. The first 10 minutes, I thought it was just like that scene where they the, the first team yeah. is on the plane together. <laughs> It's just funny joke after funny joke after funny joke. And more importantly, in the way that James Gunn has done at, at his best in uh, the best uh, moments of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, they are jokes that are character based and that are funny and also setting up the character dynamics in a really right. great, great way. I loved and I mean, I, I loved Harley Quinn's accent joke. Um, oh yeah uh, american women love accents because they don't have none (laughs) um yeah uh, i like those jokes every joke in that scene i liked it was so funny though that every joke that was featured i did not find the trailer exceptionally funny Mm -hmm. and i still think the jokes that they chose for the trailer were like the weaker jokes in the scenes where those happen like the whole thing about is weasel a dog I, i i didn't think that was funny there was like, there was something else later on that I was also like, oh, why did you pick this one? There were so many other jokes surrounding this joke that were way better. Maybe they wanted to save them, but I, I don't know. It just felt very odd. <laughs> well, that's just sub- subjectivity. Oh, uh, for sure. Every for joke sure. in that scene hit for me. I, I just enjoyed those. Ca- I just enjoyed the way those characters were bullshitting each other. I enjoyed uh, Pete Davidson's freak out over thinking Weasel was a werewolf. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, Joel Kinnaman's delivery of um, 
of he's harmless, he's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's he's, he's wanted for the murder of 27 children. But, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I feel like now should be, the, I'll just point out that um, uh, uh, right in the past few days, Joel Kinnaman has been, was accused of, I think, sexual assault by an yeah. ex-girlfriend or something. Yes. So I'll just say that. We don't know anything about that story. But uh, uh, any, any, in any way that I compliment his performance in this movie or something, know that, yes, I do know that that happened. We just don't know anything about it. Yes. When we're recording this, it's, it's a, a fairly new story. Yes. Also, assholes could be talented in that field, but still be criminals nope. and assholes. Not true. <laughs> If there's anything I've learned from recent years and all of life, it's that <laughs> only good people are talented. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I, I mean, I'll compliment Joel Kinnaman again, I guess. But the fact that he's not American, like his accent is so perfect. And oh. he's Norwegian or Swedish. I forget one of them. And I remember. He definitely looks, he definitely looks like he could be a lost Skarsgård. Yeah. And I remember first time I saw him on The Killing, I was so surprised to find out that he didn't, it wasn't even a thing of him growing up here. He is just a person from that country who has a very, very good accent. God, so, I totally forgot the killing existed. Yeah, I remember oh, the man, killing. Oh man, that show that show sucked. Do you remember <laughs> the RoboCop remake? He was also in. Uh, I remember absolutely not watching it. Oh really? I did see it. It was not good. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I was too busy watching the Total Recall remake. Oh, good. Uh, well, uh, yeah. The only thing about, I mean, I love the scene and I, it was very obvious from the way it was set up that all these people were going to die, but it was oh, yeah. still kind of surprising. And I got to say, I was kind of sad that Nathan Fillion died. I was, I he wanted did. some Captain Hammer action. Very funny. Oh, I know. He was, he was the funniest guy. And the reveal that his, his, he could detach his arms, but they just weakly slap people. Yeah. <laughs> like that's like, yeah, all those, I mean, uh, for the first half hour, a lot of the jokes are great. And this, the middle half and it, the middle half, the jokes, I think took a backseat to character stuff. And here is where my major problem with the movie is. I thought the overall, the overall macro themes of the movie, the idea of, um, that every storyline in this movie, every character's backstory in some way relates to uh, uh, exploitation of some kind, that all of these characters have been exploited. On the basic level, they're being exploited by Amanda Waller and their government. Um, but all these characters have backstories involving their par parents forcing them into a line of work or, or abusing them or, you know, Polka Dot Man's uh, was tested Aww. on by his mom. Polka Dot uh, Man. Yeah, and then it going all the way to the fact that the American government was exploiting the people of this fictional country to do testing on their land. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that the, the monster itself takes over people's bodies, yada, yada, yada. I thought all of that stuff was explored really well in interesting ways. A lot of the individual character arcs, I feel like... It felt like there was a scene missing in the middle for a lot of them. Specifically, Joel Kinnaman's um, uh, uh, Captain Flag and Idris Elba's um, uh, uh, Bloodsport. Bloodsport. 
Is that and his name? Since- Bloodsport? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm very bad with names. <laughs> uh, his name is his last name is Dubois. I remember that because. Oh, yeah. Because uh, we get a, 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 a really nice like Viola Davis really seems to enjoy the pronunciation of Dubois. Dubois. Um, but. But, yeah, no, I, I felt like those characters like the ending of those characters storylines, like you can see the big payoffs but I feel like something was missing. Like what got Rick flag to the point where like, I feel like we needed another scene to get Rick flag to the point where he's turning on his country or for that choice to mean something more at the end when he chooses to go against the mission and he's going to become a whistleblower. Right. Um, like, and I think the scene that I hated just gen- the one thing that I genuinely hated <laughs> After they kill all the the people and reveal and realize that they actually killed uh, uh, the resistance fighters. Oh, yeah. um, The woman who's in charge of the resistance just fucking forgives them. I know that was I mean, I felt like I could almost forgive it because it's a movie where death is so cheap, where Mm -hmm. you're sort of going along with the fact that, oh, we don't care how people die because it's fun and funny. But this one did feel slightly out of place there because they were freedom fighters. These were good people and they were disposed of in such like careless sort of dick measuring contest way. So which I actually prior to us finding out that those people were sort of the quote, the good guys, it was, as you said, a good scene in terms of also you know, showing character because it was very much about these two people and the way that they compete with each other. All that, the killing yeah. itself, I thought was hilarious. And the the reveal, I thought was really funny. It's literally just her reaction that I hated. I'm like, j- just put another step in to justify this joke. Have her, And then also, like, imagine if she had actually not forgiven them. If she had been like, fuck you, you you guys are monsters. And then, you know, Rick flags like, no, I swear you know, we're the good guys. We're here to help you. And then that would have set up more when he um, he does the first bit of trying to help her where he um, gives her the uh, tells her when she can attack the, the new government. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes and she takes over the country. And like if he had like from that, you can see if that if that had been more of a moment where he's like, haha, we are the good guys. And he's on a high from having, you know, saved the day like he was on a low from like he had his patriotism questioned because because they killed all these people. Then he thought he'd saved the day by by helping her. Then he finds out. But no, his whole cause was faulty. I just feel like having a bit more of those scenes throughout would have made that choice where he chooses to go against his government that much stronger. Right. And the same with like, I love the ending of Bloodsport's story where he where he's petting the rat. I love this idea of Ratcatcher 2 and uh, you know her father saying the theme of the movie. The theme of the if this movie is about all these characters being exploited, the theme is the opposite ideal that no one should be exploited. If the lowliest has a purpose, then we all have a purpose. Like what a what a fun idea and having her, you know, it's it seems like it's supposed to be that she and Bloodsport have different opinions 
opinions on that. And then at the end, we get the payoff where he pets the rat. He's seen the purpose <laughs> in a rat, just like he saw the purpose in himself. But it it didn't feel like his thing was that we have no purpose. It was more or like that we are we're useless. We're waste of space. It was more just there's no goodness in me. And so it just felt like yeah. it felt like, I don't know, just one little bit more if the things had been connected some of those payoffs would have hit that much harder right i also felt that way about his other i guess emotional arc with his daughter mm -hmm. i i thought the the first scene together was so good when she was hilarious. she gets yeah. caught stealing and he actually just advises her to be better at stealing it was really really good. well written and and I, the performances for both of them yeah the, and the young actors i thought were really great it felt good but then at the end all we then don't see this girl ever again until the end where she watches i guess the live feed of what is happening which also seems unlikely it's and, after the fact <laughs> uh, but i mean i guess there were cameras there which seems very odd and then uh she very proudly whispers that is my dad which is another trailer moment that i was like oh god uh yeah. but um it just i felt like i don't know this movie should have dared to not have that be the sappy thing i feel he did the thing for his daughter. He made it so she doesn't go to prison. And it felt like the response from her should have been like a more like, well, I still fucking hate you, but you know, thanks for this. <laughs> I think they should have dared to go somewhere there as opposed to inserting that kind of very sappy note, especially because Outside of just, you know, when he talks with uh, Viola Davis about their deal, he doesn't really acknowledge his daughter. As you said, like his big sort of emotional moment at the end is petting the rat. So why? Yeah, I don't know. It felt like it would have been kind of nice if the daughter was like, sure, but I still fucking hate you. I think it would have been better. I I will defend that moment on two levels. First... They made uh, the effort to all the footage that is uh, shown of the starfish that they're watching on news. Uh, it's all uh, uh, done with like in vertical. So it's designed to look like it's handheld cell phone footage from people sure, uh, that sure, are there. Sure. Um, how those people got an, a, a, a view up in the sky of the starfish. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they were on a plane. They I don't had mind drones. That. They're very but, cool tourists. But they did. They did do do their part to make it look like cell phone footage that would get to the news. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this is a thing that no, it's a I, suspension I, that, suspension of disbelief matter. we no. always make. But the other thing is, I I, I would wager that um, some scene, at least one scene with the daughter, was cut because we see her. She's in an orphanage. Um, it appears, or a foster home. Um, uh, and she mentions at the beginning that uh, her mother's dead. Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't think you would go to the trouble of casting all those other girls in either the foster home or orphanage that she's with that we see for a second, unless there was another scene with them. Yeah. Like, why not just have her be in generic room somewhere as opposed to getting a ton of other child actors? <laughs> but uh, so I, I would wager something was cut. But um, I didn't mind her. I didn't mind her um, having that sweetness of the moment because I do think I think James Gunn is good at both earning his saccharine sweet moments 
and undercutting them, undercutting the sweetness in just the right ways that doesn't ruin them. We have that great John Murphy music, and I've I've listened to that that the bit from that moment. The track's called Radism. <laughs> um, uh, is they it also that the like credits. the Where Is My Mind wannabe track? No, it's the one that go the one that plays during that whole rat section at the end. Mm. Da 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 da. It's very sweet sounding. Okay. Um, but uh. Like that whole element is sweet and it's undercut by the fa- by the absurdity of the moment and the grossness of what's happening. The fact that it's giant rats, it's all these rats plunging into the viscous fluid inside yeah. the massive Ugh. eyeball and ripping <laughs> apart like all that stuff, I think, was enough to undercut the the sweetness. I think, again, the daughter moment maybe doesn't hit as hard because Bloodsport's story arc doesn't hit as hard like him him being the first one to turn around and go against amanda waller's uh uh, wishes to go to go save the city i don't know why it's him other than the fact that he's ostensibly the the main character of this movie yeah i I guess that was another thing that he had another arc which is i'm not a leader and then at the end, yeah. she's like, I'll I told you I'll make you a leader. But there's no him, you know, shirking that responsibility at any point once I, he makes it. I, I think that's a, to me, that's a that's a minor little character arc that I think they did enough of. Like at the beginning, when he's in the bar, he's the one who doesn't want to bond with the team. And then at the end, he's the one who's like telling them how to use all their skills. Like, I thought that part worked. I, I just think like. There's like disagreements he has with Ratcatcher 2 throughout the movie. If you say that their ideologies are kind of the opposing ideologies that are going to get us to the moral of this movie, which is the the moral that uh, uh, Ratcatcher 1 says. If we are, if those are the opposing viewpoints. Ratcatcher the first. (laughs) If those are the opposing viewpoints, I just feel like if he had instead of just constantly saying there's no goodness in me, if he had been more like we're useless, we're pawns, you know, we're just fucking idiots that the government's throwing in here. Don't you get it? Like there's if there had been more where she's like, we can help these people. And he was like, no, like we're nothing. We don't matter. Something like that. Then I think that ending where he a chooses to save the day and then B it's reinforced with her, you know, her giving that moral and him agreeing to pet the rat, agreeing to recognize the importance in even the lowliest of creatures, what he thought he was. I just think that those uh, that like I think that's supposed to be what the story is. I just think it could have been tied together just a little bit better by tweaking some of his dialogue or adding another scene in the middle of the movie. Yeah, I mean, sure. I just I feel like (laughs) no, I guess what I mean is that like my expectation of movies like that, I think, yes, what you are saying would definitely make the movie better. But I also feel like. For a movie like this, sometimes I don't even need it. (laughs) Sometimes Mm. I'm just like, hey, it's an action movie. It makes sense. I understand what every character wants. (laughs) I understand why things flow the way that they do. I feel like we watch so many movies 
for this podcast specifically where we don't even understand the plot of the movie or like wh why characters are doing the thing that they're doing in this one while i think yes they kind of missed some of like the work you have to put in in order to have character arcs um because they did get a ton of the other stuff right it didn't feel yeah. like i was missing it as much i guess a hundred percent i mean um like I'm talking about the things that to me kept this from being from being a good movie, it kept this a good movie as opposed to what could have been, I think, a great movie. Mm -hmm. And I think um, like, yes, there could have been a version of this movie that was just basically fucking, you know, MacGruber <laughs> in uh, uh, the DC universe and was just nonstop, you know, subverting old action tropes and silly superhero stuff. And yes, in that version of the movie, um, uh, you could have the daughter be like, I still think you fucking suck. <laughs> like I can see that and having it be a really funny punchline. I, it, I don't, I think the tone that gun is aiming for, I think that wouldn't have worked at least not in that moment. You could have had it at the end. Um, but yeah, I think he was aiming for a more the same way he has with his Guardians of the Galaxies right. movies. Yeah, I think they, he like he meshed up many of the things that I like about Super with mm -hmm. perhaps some of the stuff I don't really like that much about Guardians of the Galaxy. I remember you don't really like them. What 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 don't you like about those movies? I don't know. I just don't think they're that great. I think they are kind of sappy. I didn't find them as funny as other people did. I think I enjoyed the second one more than I did the first one. Uh, I guess it's sort of the Star Wars thing, you know? People compared this movie to Star Wars a lot. It's like, oh, this is like the new Star Wars for kids or whatever. I was like, yeah, this is, I also don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. There, there was, it wasn't really about tone necessarily. I just, I don't know. It it didn't really work as well for me as um as this did definitely or as Guns probably darker stuff. Uh but I mean this is it's not that movie. I don't know that Guardians of the Galaxy was aiming to be that. It's just I don't know. Yeah. Maybe no, I it's Yeah, just I it. think this um I mean this is definitely it's Guardians of the Galaxy with the comedy knob twisted up and it's definitely more free reeling and when the jokes are hitting like the first half hour, I think this movie kills. I think it's at the middle when the jokes are kind of a little fallow and we have that weird chronolo chronology stuff that I just don't think really worked, that this movie uh, dies down a bit. But I, I overall loved the third act. I just think it might have been a little better with some some tweaking of the character arcs. Yeah. Um, can I tell you one tiny thing that I, I noticed on my second viewing Ooh. that I appreciated a great deal? Sure. So when they're in the city and they go to the bar and they all uh, uh, wear, they all get disguises. Mm -hmm. um, did you see what Polka Dot Man's disguise is? Oh, fuck. I don't remember. No. It's not like a recognizable Easter egg. He is wearing a... Uh, checkered pants with squares on them and a shirt that's just lines making triangles <laughs> so his disguise instead of his circle suit is a suit with squares and triangles uh that's so cute uh, yeah he was probably my favorite 
I also think the best role in this movie is for this lady who played his mom. Because <laughs> it's such a silly <laughs> thing. Because it's like, all you do as an actor, imagine just like, oh, you're just going to be Rawr. like, Rawr. you're pretending to be a starfish, <laughs> a killer starfish, or you're pretending to be, you know, a gorilla warrior or everything. I don't know. It's just such a fun... I really... I enjoy, I guess this is not necessarily body swap stuff, but whenever that mm-hmm. happens where a character sees a different character in the, you know, in the shape of uh, the original character. I don't know. You know what well, I mean. Well, that's why you were really like a it. huge fan. Speaking of DCEU, that's why you're a huge fan of the Chris Pine storyline in Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, of course. I love it. That poor man. <laughs> The super well thought out storyline from that movie. (laughs) The totally not abusive storyline. I mean, here's a question. How does this rank at which what DC movies have you seen at this point? uh, In the new iteration of DC, I guess I've only seen the two Wonder Woman movies. And Mm -hmm. I would rank this higher than those two movies. I have seen the two Wonder Woman movies, Birds of Prey and um, Shazam. Oh, I've seen Shazam um, too. We saw yeah, Shazam together. I think we together. did it for the show. I was, I was about <laughs> to think. I'm like, didn't we do an episode on that? I would, uh, I would also rank this above. I mean, uh, neither of us really liked Wonder Woman 1984. That movie. We liked some of the things it's trying, but that that movie is a mess. I was a um, fan of Kristen Wiig in that movie, and I will say I enjoyed it more than the first one. If anything, I would actually rank the original or the first Wonder Woman as the least favorite, and then it would be the '84, and then Shazam, and then this. Oh wow, we never did an episode on that movie. No, I think this was pre-podcast time. This was before we got the time machine. So was well, I was. It was uh, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was in the pandemic depression time when we weren't recording episodes. Oh, you mean Wonder Woman 84? Yeah, Wonder oh, Woman 84. I thought you meant the original. Um, yeah, we, I, we didn't do an episode either. No. Um, uh, find us in a bar and ask us our, our thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. We have a lot. That movie's fucking weird. But like, don't look uh, for us specifically because that would be creepy. <laughs> don't seek us out. Please don't seek us out. But if you happen to be in a bar and one of us comes up and uh, and they're like, what's the name on the on the tab? And we say our name and then we say toot toot. That's your signal that you can talk to us about 1984. And then we say toot toot again and it's your uh, signal to leave. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm actually nice in person. I would never <laughs> I would never do this. I. I hope that one day, 10 years from now, there, there's like a good friend of you who's like, you know, the first time I met you, I'd listen to your podcast and it seemed like you like didn't like meeting new people. So I, <laughs> I didn't talk to you for like five years. Oh, <laughs> wow. That implies that I would be capable of making new friends in, in my late 30s, which would be super <laughs> impressive. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. Um do you have anything else to yes. uh, say about this movie? I have Please two do. things. So I have one minor thing and one maybe like uh, sort of outside the movie thing that I think could be interesting to talk about. Okay. So first thing, this is like a minor quibble that again doesn't like ruin the movie in any way. Why is Ratcatcher, that's the girl's name, Ratcatcher 2, uh-huh. Dos, or Dois since she's Portuguese. Um, why is she in the same 
So she's a woman who tried to rob a bank with rats and got put in a maximum security prison alongside murders. That's insane. I think it's it's more because of her power than Does it is she have because power, of though she has like a, a like a light bulb. And she yeah, I guess if you them. take take her special wand away, she doesn't do. Yeah, she can't do like that why much. do you? I mean, where is the symmetry in sentencing in this cinematic universe? <laughs> and they do allow her to have her one rat there. Yeah. So I don't know. So that's like a minor. Thing. The justice system in this universe is bullshit. Yeah, where is the justice league? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> write up some justice constitution uh no but so the main thing i think we should talk about uh in reference to when you kind of mentioned earlier in the movie is the fact that it was disappointingly not a high earner in the box office mm-hmm. and that is has sort of been the narrative now for both the disney and hbo max movies especially black widow and then this yeah Especially when pitted up against, uh, you know, the Fast franchise, which did not release uh, to home theater or home theaters, home cinemas. Uh, so did not release to any streaming services and made a ton more money uh, compared to The Black Widow, which is probably even stronger IP than The Fast and Furious, especially like, you know, given the Disney you know, pushing the Marvel love and everything, making far less money than expected. And this also not making as much money. Uh, So I don't know. I think it would be interesting to kind of talk about whether even the metric of a box office matters at this point for these kinds of movies, especially with uh, streaming services not really revealing much about figures up until very recently. I did see on the Wikipedia that streaming wise, this has the second highest view count for day and date release of um, streaming, streaming stuff and theater stuff of the HBO Max of the movies released to HBO Max (laughs) at the same time. Yes, that's so. Yeah, this might be just a news that people release to sound good. The same way, like uh, sports announcers are like, "Wow, that was the best uh, score by a player in his twenty third year." You know, yeah, um, I know. Uh, uh, there are a lot of caveats here, but here, I'll, you know, I'll just fucking read it. Let's see. It says. Samba TV reported 2.8 million households streamed the film over its first four days of release, the second largest total of a day and date title on the platform, the platform being HBO Max, behind Mortal Kombat. Um, uh, Also, another caveat (laughs) for that is that I think I've seen the same article is that so Samba TV is one of the operating systems or tracking devices on some smart systems so like mm. it, it would not be on like a roku so they're also counting a small subset of viewership that happens to use smart technology on their device to watch it well they are they using it like are they reporting 2.8 are they using that like a pollster like and using that as a sample size yeah i assume it's like maybe like yeah, I don't know how they derive the thing, but I remember seeing that like Samba TV reviews that like on Vizio TVs or some shit. And it was like, <laughs> okay. So that's very well, tiny. I, <laughs> not, here's the thing. 
like the first uh, Suicide Squad, we don't really know what we're talking about here in that all this information is no one really knows what any of this means. But box office wise, because that's like our show, um, it, it's tough to say because all of the you, you mentioned Fast 9, you mentioned Black Widow, you mentioned this. All of these things have different uh, extenu- extenuating circumstances. Fast 9 didn't release streaming. This movie did release really stre- streaming and in theaters, and it's a sequel to a movie no one liked. And it was then, released for free. Like, yes, and- Black Widow was released, but cost money on streaming. Right. And we also don't know how these services count streams, because that's like another sort of scam that all these platforms are running on us, is that, you know, YouTube, I think, counts three seconds or something for stream. Uh, I think YouTube six seconds. It was Facebook that dropped okay. it down to three when they were trying to compete with YouTube. Right. And, so, and- I mean, there's like a whole thing. If you have seen three seconds or six seconds from Suicide Squad, I don't know that that should be counted as a stream. Uh, I think so. There's a ton here that we don't know. And I think so. I wonder I don't know. It just it feels odd, for example, to be disappointed that a movie didn't do as well, where perhaps it actually did do quite well uh, when you you figure in every way that one could watch a movie. But or whether what is doing well at this point, you know, like is doing well, just driving more people to subscribe to HBO Max. In that case, I don't know. It, It just feels like now. We have an even blacker box of uh, mm-hmm. grosses than we did before. Whereas, I mean, so going back to the Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson thing, for those who don't know, Scarlett Johansson has sued Disney over profits. And Disney was like, oh my God, Scarlett Johansson cannot, like, she is taking away our, you know, hard earned money during COVID. She is such a bitch. Uh, this is. <laughs> Not really what we're talking about, but I, can I just say anyone who's siding with the mega corporation in this dispute just because you kind of don't like the actress involved, you're an idiot. Oh, don't side with the mega corporation in any disputes. Wow, that's so funny. Oh, you see people like commenting all the time that are like, they're like, oh, doesn't she have enough money saying all the things that Disney would want As them to say? And it's like, to fucking yes. Disney? Like, yes, she has enough money. That's not the point. <laughs> first off, that's not the point. Second off, even if that is the sort of the stick by which we choose to measure this, Disney has so much more money and it's trying not to like. But also, anyway, she had a contract and the contract yeah. said that the movie. If they broke the contract, yeah. <laughs> they broke the contract. But yeah, and so we. There, there are countless stories of studio accounting even before the days of opaque mm-hmm. streaming where it's very hard for artists to get any sort of, uh, money off the back end of movie releases because in very creative ways, studios can, you know, uh, um, uh, can like mess around with the accounting and say that the movie didn't make money even though it made a billion dollars. And at least with box office, figures we had some objective measure by which a movie was successful tied to a monetary sum and now it seems like it's way less tangible 
to gauge a successful movie, especially for people working on these things who are expecting to get some income, who have probably given up like, you know, upfront money in order to enjoy some income down the line because they believe that the movie would be successful, which I don't know. I feel like it feels like a good, like optimistic thing to believe in. The artists believed in the movie. They thought that they're going to like, you know, make money. And that's why they chose to be paid that way. And now it just seems like it's so opaque, even more opaque now than it ever was. And yeah, I mean, like like you said, you know, you can can't throw a stone without hitting some story about uh, uh, some actor, writer, director, yada, 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 suing film studio X because they claimed that some clearly mega successful movie actually didn't make any money. That happens every week that there are lawsuits like that. I wonder, yeah, you're right that things seem to just becoming like weirder and more complicated. I don't know, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I would be curious to talk to an agent about how, they're looking at this kind of situation now. Are the kind of contracts going to change in... Well, I mean, like, we don't even know, because is streaming... I think we can probably agree streaming is in some ways the future. <laughs> Whether, you know, even without the pandemic. Right. Um, But does that... Yeah, it's... Yeah, how we go do talk, you... back to talk about script stuff? I don't know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> no, it's a, it's very interesting because it on the one hand you have stories of, you know, these huge movies, these big stars not being paid the back, you know, the back half or like the back end deals. Uh but there're also other stories of just artists being exploited by Netflix and places like that who don't really pay as much, who get to avoid sometimes union contracts, who can probably obscure away any data that they can in a way that would benefit them. Um, And I mean, that's how they're able to churn out so much content, uh, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, So yeah, it's interesting. It's also, uh, this is, not super related, but yeah, it would be interesting to talk to a lawyer to see what kind of stuff they want to include and like for what kind of provisions, however far-fetched they want to go for it. Um, a soccer player named Messi, who I'm sure even you know who he is, he signed a new contract and <laughs> John rolled his eyes. <laughs> but, rolled him just like a soccer ball. Yeah, Lionel Messi, uh, he now very publicly left his very insolvent yet somehow super popular team to move to a very rich team. And in the contract that he signed, some of his salary is going to, or like he is going to get income if like PSG, the club that he went to is going to mint like NFTs or like if there's going to be any sort of like crypto stuff with his image. And so all the stuff that they could have hidden. Yeah. So it's like, or like, st- like, let's say they mint an NFT or something with his image, like he gets some profit in that. So like, it seems like if you are a lawyer for someone whose image could be exploited in so many different ways right now, and corporations can make 
so much out of your image, especially a huge corporation like Disney that owns mm. fucking, you know, everything, you know, vertically and horizontally. It's, it feels like at some point you must just be starting to make shit up. It's like, well, if it happens to be that you issue an NFT of like something in the Ethereum coin or whatever, then I don't know. It just, it feels like yeah. there's so many loopholes you have to look out for. And there's so many other ways that studios could still like find a way of exploiting you and not actually like giving you <laughs> your due. Yeah, I mean, closer closer to uh, our our initial topic than than soccer. I mean, there I know there was a lot of people talking about when studios started doing NFTs of comic book characters mm -hmm. and who like some you know. Thankfully, I fucking hope the NFT bubble has burst. What a load of <laughs> absolute nonsense for idiots that was. But I know people were talking about like, okay, do the cre are the creators getting any money? Are the artists who made that NFT, how much are they getting paid? Or is it just the IP holders of like there's Disney is selling some Spider-Man NFT right now? Who is getting the money from that? Um, at the end of the day, I mean, like we really, we certainly don't know what's happening, no. but most people don't know what's happening because things are changing greatly. All I can say is in the future. If there is a dispute between management and labor, <laughs> even if you don't like the fact that, say, labor made some stupid comments about play, uh, her ability to play Asian women and trans, trans women, even if labor said that, for the principle, you still should not side with management. Yeah, especially with the same management on, I think I read something the other day that they paid comic book writers maybe like $5,000 or something like that for adapting their content recently. Disney Wait did. a minute. Hold up. Are you telling me that comic book writers and artists have not been well compensated for the incredibly famous characters they've created and storylines they created. Well, it, That's never happened in the history of the comic book industry before. No, I'm I no, obviously I I'm not yeah. like necessarily shocked by this. I am somewhat shocked by the super low amount. Like that no, a person yeah, got paid. I'm mostly talking about like this is I just mean, this has been going on since the beginning of that industry right. uh, when, you know, uh, uh, fuck, what are their names? Uh, Siegel and Schuster. The, the creators of Superman yeah, yeah. made basically pennies for this character who is now one of, you know, the five most uh, like famous, iconic fictional characters known to humanity. Right. Yeah. No, I... Obviously, exploitation happens all the time, but it's just another example of how, yeah, don't be on the side of Disney. Disney does not <laughs> treat even its best employees well. Like, if, like, if that's how they treat Scarlett Johansson, imagine if, like, you're some cast member in one of its parks and, you know, they didn't calculate your overtime properly. Do you think, like, they would treat you well? <laughs> And I love Disney parks, but I also think that they're pretty evil <laughs> as a corporation. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're all, yes, they're all evil. And I say that as someone who enjoys all these movies. They're yeah. still evil. You can sit, we're not saying that, you know. Yeah, they're the uh, Joel don't Kenneman. Watch Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle. They're the Joel Kenneman. <laughs> 
<laughs> we have a, a much less distasteful way to go full circle by just saying that our this movie was about exploitation. And That's remember, true. also, let's not get sued. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. As Taika Waititi said on that uh, CGI Eiffel Tower or wherever he is. Well, presumably uh, it's somewhere in Portugal, so no. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> uh, uh, rats are the lowliest and most despised creatures of all. If they have a purpose, so do we all. Or something like that. That rhymed. That was very nice, John. I, I rhymed all with all. I don't think that was the original line. because I don't think they would have done that. Enough. Um, yeah, let's, let's grade this movie. Sure. All right. Three, two, one. B. B plus. All right. Yeah. All right. I, I, I always get excited when I'm the, the more positive one because I feel like that never happens. I, I feel like it happens a fair amount. I feel like I can, Maybe be, I can be a grump as much as the, <laughs> as the next guy or gal. Maybe I'm just, uh, uh, maybe I'm just uh, too uh, uh, self-conscious about being negative. Okay. Either way, let's. Uh, uh, have you seen any other movies recently since our last episode that you'd like to talk about? Uh, so I've seen two movies, like in you know, if I were not to cheat and talk about them, I would talk about Green Giant and Stillwater. Uh, Green Knight, which I have seen, but I don't know that I have like. I think Stillwater, I enjoyed more than Green Knight. Yeah, I keep calling it the Green Giant because of fucking commercialism and marketing and the fact that well, the Green Giant it, stuff are delicious. Was he jolly in the movie? Um, <laughs> no, he was not jolly. I, I found that movie to be visually interesting, but I I was mostly confused about what it was trying to say that mm. aside from like a very simplistic thing that it was very clear was trying to say. Uh, Stillwater, I thought, was probably more scattered, but overall the stronger parts of Stillwater I liked more. I liked, I very much liked the performances of everyone involved and the way that the story sometimes went in sort of unpredictable ways. Um, but what I do want to talk about is the things that I did not talk about last time which is that i saw uh, a war car y movie uh called uh, fallen angels uh that i thought was very very good uh i i called it a very happy movie about sad people <laughs> uh <laughs> it, it's all it all takes place at night in hong kong and sort of all of these characters are kind of trying to find their purpose and each other, they're all lonely and they want connection. But it's also very funny. And uh, yeah, I thought it was just really good. It's also filmed very interestingly. I like the way that it plays with nighttime light is very good. There's a lot of sort of long exposure looking sort of light rays happening everywhere. And the city feels so alive. I don't know. I just, I really, really liked it. So Fallen Angels, I think it's on Criterion, so check that out. And uh, I also saw Some Kind of Heaven, which is a documentary about the largest retirement community in Florida. It might be in the world. I don't know. Probably not the world. Who knows? Uh, but it was very interesting, too. It's about 
uh, following just a bunch of people who live there, who come from different walks of life. There's um, a widow who's moved there to, uh, you know, start anew, who's regretting her decision. There's a couple where the husband is slowly losing his mind. There's a guy who's basically homeless and he's trying to find a sugar mama to live with because otherwise <laughs> so it they come from very different i mean not that different they're all like white old people but uh, <laughs> but it was it was kind of interesting to see kind of how how a community like that functions um and i really like that it's on hulu and i would also recommend that all right cool i'm 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 trying to think of what I talked about last in our last episode. We we had already seen Zola, right? When we did the last yes, episode. Yes, I think you recommended Zola. Yes. Well, I watched one of your recommendations from last time, Woodstock 99. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed that <laughs> quite a bit. Um, uh, I enjoyed... Um, it's what I enjoyed... My, one of my big takeaways watching that was um, older Gen Xers hate the music of younger Gen Xers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of generational stuff, uh, oh, but everyone still thinks uh, boomers are the most evil, uh, especially when they're uh, promoting concerts. Um, <laughs> speaking of generational stuff, in uh, The Suicide Squad, when we first meet uh, Ratcatcher 2, John Cena goes, oh, millennials. <laughs> and uh, I looked it up. Um, that actress who I thought was very good, Daniela um, something, Daniela something, Daniela Melquar. Um, she is just about as young as you could be to still be considered a millennial. She's 20, uh, 24. Oh, wow. She's so young. Oh, wait. Is she 24 or 26? Oh, she's 24. Oh, no. She's not a millennial. Oh, wow. I think she is technically Gen Z. Hey, Peacemaker, you fucked up. Well, hopefully they'll redub that line now that they found that out. <laughs> yeah, give, give me the Zoomer cut. I mean, release it, the Zoomer cut. <laughs> it would be funny because, you know, sometimes when they dub movies for foreign countries, they sub in whatever could be like the equivalent culture subculture <laughs> yeah uh so it would be funny if as this movie ages they keep redumping it over and over and it would start with gen <laughs> z and then it's like generation alpha or whatever it is we're going to next yeah uh, you're so positive in thinking there are going to be that many generations left oh no i think we're all gonna die it all ends with <laughs> us but you know um uh of course Ratcatcher 2 she could be playing an older character but um <laughs> yeah Woodstock 99 I thought was I thought was pretty good um uh, it is you know it's one of those great documentaries it's just step by step here's a terrible thing that happened um and it doesn't really go that far beyond it in that way I compare it to um the uh uh I compare it to the uh, COVID documentary that came out last year by um, was that Alex Gibney? Did he do a COVID documentary already? Oh my god, was it? <laughs> Probably. Um, what was who did the COVID documentary from a few months back? I don't know that there was a COVID COVID documentary. There was. I I definitely saw it. It was uh called um. Oh my god, did I not put it in my letterbox? Why can I not find it? All right, god damn it! One minute. 
HBO I mean, in the meantime, COVID documentary. I will recommend to our listener if you enjoyed the Woodstock documentary, uh, check out the very long spin piece that was released at the time. I'm sure you can Google it. The reporter from it is interviewed for the movie. And uh, I feel like reading every paragraph in that uh, article is like, it could get, it could end with, and it gets worse. <laughs> Because every (laughs) paragraph does indeed get worse. Uh, The movie I am talking about is totally under control, and it was indeed uh, uh, directed by Alex Gibney. And uh, similar to that one, I feel like, um, yeah, I enjoyed both of those movies. I enjoy, I don't know, enjoy is the right word. But I thought both of those movies were good, but I think both of them are just like, and then this happened and this happened, and you get a comprehensive view, but I don't know if it, goes that much before it. This movie, the Woodstock one, it feels like people are constantly throwing out stabs about cultural importance and what what all of this means. And we get a bunch of different ideas but without really exploring any of them that much. Yeah. But overall, I thought it, I, I thought it was great. Um, I finally, for the first time, saw Call Me By Your Name. Hey, that movie is great. <laughs> I, uh, I thought it was really good. I don't know what else there is to say about that movie at this point. Michael Schulbart w- was so good in it. He, he is that really good. That speech at the end. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Give that man all the Oscars. <laughs> I, I realized I was reading about it afterwards. I realized that um, there was a debate when that movie was released uh, between people who interpreted his monologue as he saying that he he himself, the father, was, uh, was closeted. Um, and the author of the original book said that was not his intention when he wrote the book. And but he can see how that interpretation um, uh, that interpretation makes sense for the movie. Mm-hmm. And after I saw I uh, saw um, uh, Call Me By Your Name with some friends, we were having a conversation about it. And I was pretty drunk, but I was making the argument that I feel similarly to that as I feel about the argument about whether or not um, uh, uh Harrison Ford is a replicant in Blade Runner. Um, I can see both interpretations, but I think the story is much better if that's not what he's saying. And he's just talking about love in general. Yeah. The same way I think the story of Blade Runner is a thousand times better if he's not a replicant. But whatever. Call Me By Your Name. I liked it. Ironically, um, he I, is a replicant in Call Me By Your Name. He so is. there we Michael go. Michael Schalbert is a replicant. <laughs> Uh, Timothy Chalamet is the first descendant of replicants, uh, replicants reproducing. It's crazy. It happened in the uh, uh, 80s. Um, uh, and then I saw Birds of Prey, which I kind of I talked about here. I thought it was fine. I wish that movie had either been more of a team movie or more of a solo Harley Quinn movie. I feel like the balance was weirdly half and half. Mm. I like Harley Quinn more like the way it is in uh, The Suicide Squad. I think... Uh, a little goes a long way with that character. And I don't mean that it's an insult. I just think a little goes a long way with that. Character. <laughs> That's fair. I agree. All right. All right. What's uh, uh what's coming up next week? What do we, what do we got well, going on? John, uh, next week, probably an old movie week. So probably. we our contenders are, and I am vetoing it immediately from 2011. <laughs> the help. Uh, oh god okay yeah uh, i've ne- i've never seen it i've never i don't want to yeah, see I it i don't want to see it i saw the trailer and <laughs> i was like oof i don't need this uh from 2001 american pie 2 which i've never seen 
from 91. It might have to be American Pie 2. That, <laughs> I haven't seen it since the theaters. I think, oh, I, I own the DVD, but I definitely didn't rewatch it that much. That, I think, would be a movie. The aging of that movie, I think, could be fascinating. But what are our other options? Or Hot Shots, which I've also never seen. Uh, Hot Shots for, from the 80s? Yeah, uh, from oh, 91. No, from the 90s. Yeah, yeah, the top oh, I, gun I'm parody. thinking of a slap shot. Hot Shots is Charlie Sheen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember really liking the second one. I, I would lean towards America Pie 2, but you know what? You'll see whatever comes out in the next episode on your podcast dial. Yeah. We'll choose one of them. Until then, should we call it a day? Yes. Toot, toot. Toot to the toot. The toot The toot toot. The toot toot to you. And a toot to your enemies. <laughs> Oh,